Are you interested in cryptocurrency? Are you skeptical of it? Does buying cryptocurrency sound like one big scam? Are you curious about how different types of crypto coins relate to each other and what their functions are? In today's episode on Root Awakening, a health podcast, we are talking with Daniel Rudiger. Daniel Rudiger is a CPA who is a crypto enthusiast who also works in the corporate world. He works with Matrix Money as an accountant by day, but is also a crypto enthusiast and works a lot with decentralized finance in his own time. And we will get into what decentralized finance means in this episode. It is very empowering. So Daniel and I are basically talking crypto 101 in this episode. However, if you are well-versed in cryptocurrency, I think you'll still find this a really interesting episode. Daniel has a very well-rounded, really fascinating, informed view on the crypto world. And he just knows how everything works and the history of everything. He holds a lot of information just as a human being naturally. So it's really cool to hear his point of view. And towards the end of the episode, he talks a lot about what he really is into right now as far as coins. He talks about some of the bigger, more prominent coins that he's really into and that he backs personally. And then he talks about some smaller coins that are doing some interesting things too that he really loves. He's not a financial advisor. He's not giving anyone advice on this. He's just talking about what he's really enthusiastic about in the crypto world. And that can help you to maybe spark your interest about some different coins. And he talks about how the different coins interact and how that happens in the web in the internet i am not well versed on cryptocurrency and knew basically nothing before this podcast episode but now i feel like i really know the basics and also have been able to combine that knowledge with daniel's really interesting point of view on that world so i think it's going to be really fun for everybody to listen to i'm so excited to share this information with you i think it's really important that we are educated on this and that we are able to maybe experiment with it a little bit because this type of finance can be really empowering. So this is something we talk about on the episode as well. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Let's get into it. This is Root Awakening a Health Podcast. My name is Emily Kosick. I am a self-development coach and the CEO of Root Awakening. Root Awakening is a holistic home of self-development and an empowered community. You can follow me on social media at emilys.rootawakening. Root is spelled R-O-O-T. Message me, say hi, give me your feedback on this episode, the podcast, my content. I'm open to it all. And as many of you know, I am getting closer and closer to being banned on Instagram. So I have created new spaces to create community off social media where we can connect without the algorithms and without all the stuff that we don't want so much. First is my email tribe. It is free. I send out one email newsletter once a week, which is just timely tips on what I'm going through that week. So you're gonna get more personal information from me, you're gonna get a lot more guidance from me than what I post on social media, and it's a fun way to see what I'm up to, see some more personal stuff that's going on in my life and what I am learning from that currently. 
Next is the Root Awakening Commune, which is a private group off social media where we can talk about homesteading, we can talk about cryptocurrency, we can talk about cooking from scratch, herbalism, survival skills, all the stuff that really adds to self-development, that makes us autonomous, and that makes us capable if society completely collapses. So this is a way that we can post to each other, message each other, and interact more directly without being on social media and having just a safe space, this private group for us to do that. So it's free for now. If you would like to join, contact me on Instagram or by email, which you can find in the show notes. I have also just dropped a communication course. This is an online course that's simple and quick. It has customizable scripts for you to remember when you are walking into an awkward conversation, when you need to set up your boundaries, when you need to speak your mind. It's really helpful to have statements of graceful communication in your pocket so you can know what to say when you get put on the spot. When we are prepared, we can communicate very gracefully and it's a lot easier to keep our boundaries. So I created this online course in order to help you do that. There are mindset lessons on cultivating relationships. There is audio with the visual learning so you can read the lessons. You could listen to them like a podcast or you can do both if you're like me. I like to listen to the lessons while I'm reading through because it helps me remember everything so much easier. It's a super affordable course. You can go to rootawakening.ca slash communication. I will also have links in the show notes for the communication course and to join the email tribe to get my newsletter. So you'll be all set up there. Head to the show notes if you want more details. And then finally, I am taking one-to-one coaching clients again. I missed you all so much and I really realized how important coaching is to me. I thought it was something that I grew out of and I didn't want to do anymore and that couldn't be further from the truth. I really missed it so I'm happy to be back. I am starting out taking clients with the specialty in resistance, boundaries, communication, improving relationships, improving the connection to yourself and to your intuition. These topics I am really interested in these days and I want to work with my clients on them specifically. So if these are things that you would like to improve upon, DM me or email me if you are interested in working together and want to see if it's a good fit. We can have a conversation about what you are dealing with, what you would like to improve upon, and we will see if it's a good fit. So let's get into this episode on cryptocurrency with Daniel Rudiger. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Root Awakening Health Podcast. I am super excited about this episode today because we are talking about cryptocurrency and I am super interested in cryptocurrency yet don't know much about it. So Daniel Rudiger is here today to help us with that. He is a CPA who is a crypto enthusiast who works in the corporate world, and he knows a lot about this topic. I'm really excited to talk to him about it because we go super deep every time we have a conversation, and he knows so much information about this. So I'm stoked to have him on. I can always get 
into really deep philosophical conversations with Daniel so easily, which I value so much. And he just knows so much about a lot of things. He's one of those people. His brain works differently than mine, and he educates himself differently than I do. In my view, Daniel is very analytical, but also emotionally intelligent, which is part of what makes him so unique. But we're interested in really similar topics. So we have a lot of interesting conversation together. Daniel is very, very well versed in the crypto world. He knows the ins and outs of crypto in a way that I haven't even grazed the surface of. I've invested a bit of money in crypto, but still can't really wrap my mind around it. And I know I'm not the only one who feels like that in this audience and to our listeners. So Daniel is going to hold our hands with that today, and disclaimer, he is not a financial advisor. He's not telling you what to do with your money. It's just a conversation that we're having about cryptocurrency preferences. So Daniel Rudiger, CPA, crypto enthusiast, welcome to Root Awakening, a health podcast. Oh, Emily, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, yeah, that was a quite an opening, I'd say. I, I am a crypto enthusiast. I I've been following the space for a little while, um, but have gotten more and more into it the last few years. And it's fun kind of going down the different rabbit holes, kind of learning about the tech, um, kind of seeing where things are going, and then even kind of forecasting out into the future where we might be in, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, so it's, yeah, it's wonderful to be on and to talk about this. And I'm sure we'll have great discussions that will go and many different places. Oh, hell yeah. We definitely go down the loopholes and the rabbit holes and our audience loves that. And I love that. So I'm excited. Um, I want to hear first what a CPA is because I don't really know what that is. So let's get I, that out of the way. Yep. A CPA is a certified public accountant. So um, I'm licensed in the state of Michigan. I got my license in 2019, I believe, is when I completed um, my four exams. So you have to go through, um, well, you have to go through your four years of college. Typically, you don't necessarily need an accounting degree, but you have to then eventually get um, 150 credits in a lot of states to then be able to sit for the CPA exam. And then it's, um, it's four different sections. You take an exam, four sections that are four hours long. And the pass rate is like, I think, in the upper 50s. So it's a pretty tough exam. It definitely like messes with people's minds when you're going through it. Um, you have a financial, you have regulatory, then you kind of have uh, business law, and then you have like economics. So uh, you kind of got to pass all four of those to actually get your CPA. And then every um, year to two years, you have to take a certain amount of professional education to kind of actually keep up with that license as well. Mm, cool. So you're already working with finances and stuff like that, but on the other side. On yeah. The other. Yeah. I actually started off in public accounting. So I did a lot of like, um, I did a lot of audits and so there's different types of audits. There's financial um, audits, there's internal audits, which is more like controls related, consulting related. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's a wide variety of things you can do as a CPA. So it's, it's definitely broadened my knowledge, especially with the um, banking system, because I did work with a lot of internal audits in banks. And it's kind of a lot allows you to um, break down systems, too, because when you're thinking about controls, you have to kind of know the in and outs of systems and kind of understand the potential risks that go along with those systems to be able to then um, 
perform the right kind of tests to then be able to make sure those controls are working properly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it makes so much sense with how your brain works, right, Daniel? Like you're, I would say you're very good at storing a lot of information in your brain. Would you agree? It depends on the topic, but yeah, I would say Mm. so. Um, It's like, you know, the things that I'm interested in tend to stick and then things that I'm not as interested in just kind of tend to, you know, escape my mind. But yeah, if I, I, if I get into a topic, then I definitely remember a lot of facts. I like to be able to pull those facts out and just kind of like the spit them out because a lot of people don't know them and it's important when you can kind of um convey them in a really good way to them and then it kind of starts to connect in their brain so um mm-hmm. yeah I, I would say I'm that type of person yeah that was one of my first impressions from you yep so it all connects that's beautiful and you're in your zone of genius here so how did you become interested in crypto? Let's hear about how you became aware of it, how you started digging into it initially. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so I originally um, getting like into crypto, I, I kind of came across it kind of because of the dark web in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you would use Bitcoin to buy things on the dark web. And that's kind of how I, I came across Bitcoin. But then I started to go down the rabbit hole of like what Bitcoin was and the technology behind it. Um, and then as I started to read more and more like about blockchain, which is what is what the fundamental technology that was kind of discovered with Bitcoin, um, it just like kind of resonated with me. And I was like, man, this this is so cool. It like you could do so many cool things with it. And it's just kind of turns our current system that we have or the different type of technologies where it's everything centralized on its head because it it takes technology and it decentralizes it all and so instead of having everything at like one particular central location um it like spreads out all of the like um computing power or i guess different ways of actually running this system and so it's it's harder to attack because there's so many decentralized nodes you can imagine if you have one one particular place that has everything processing all the information you would just have to attack that one central location and then you you have an in but um with blockchain if you have you know i don't know a, a hundred or a thousand different nodes um all kind of working together yeah they could attack one node but it's hard for them to get enough power to actually overtake the entire network so yeah, I just came across it and I started reading up about the tech and I was like, man, this this is really cool. This is, is going to be um, a development. It's going to be something that's going to take 10 to 30 years to actually play out and see like what the use cases are. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I came across it. Yeah, you could tell, you could sense that it was going to be big and it was something kind of revolutionary or really revolutionary, in fact. Well, yeah. And it's like when Bitcoin came out, I, I believe it was like, Maybe, maybe it wasn't the very first type of tech that was a peer-to-peer payment network, but like it was the first, it, it's the first peer-to-peer tech that is so reliable that it's never been hacked. You know, like, like mm-hmm. you don't know of many systems that haven't been hacked and that's how secure Bitcoin is. It's, it's gotten to the point where, um, yeah, you just, you can't t- attack it. Um, if you tried to attack it, it would cost way too much money to do that. And so it was just super fascinating learning about all of it and kind of um, the fact that the person who created it is just like an anonymous person. Like the, the Satoshi Nakamoto was just a guy who no one really knows. Um, 
And I imagine it came out of the recession, right? Because it came right after the 2008 recession. And it was probably an individual looking at like kind of what was happening, the financial system, kind of the issues with it. And it was like, well, how do we set a system up where, you know, people can just um, go directly to each other and they don't have to work through any sort of intermediary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I really like about this, because I mean, we're going to get into it here, but I love the empowerment side of cryptocurrency. And I think obviously these things are connected for a reason, right? Like a lot of folks in the conspiracy world love cryptocurrency because it feels a lot more empowering. And based on you know what you're saying, it sounds like it is. So let's back up a little bit here and talk about the terminology for folks that don't know about finances like me. Can you help us clarify what centralization means decentralization let's start there yeah um so centralization to me would just be um everything is controlled at one central point so if you think of our current financial system the federal reserve would be kind of considered the central point they're the ones that decide um which banks get the money right and they from a top-down approach then allocate the resources to the banks. And then decentralization would be kind of just the, the complete opposite of that. It's like um, it's it's like all the individuals now um, have the, their own power to be able to um, co- uh, work within the system, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they can give their own resources to allow the system to function instead of relying on a central power for that system to operate and function um so yeah it's just it's just like complete opposites it's one's a central point the other is like completely spread out there's different nodes it can be anywhere it it it, it doesn't have one central place where all the information is getting processed through Hmm. cool and so in that sense you could kind of think about it like everyone has ownership to it yeah exactly that's that's why i think uh crypto is so cool because like it's the very first time in history well i guess you could own gold if you wanted to and you could have Mm -hmm. gold in your house and you would be considered like a custodian right so like if you own if you have money or you have dollar bills and they're in a bank right the bank is your custodian they hold on to those bills for you so you rely on to a third party that they're going to keep those funds safe um, and they're not going to do anything malicious with them but like with crypto you could have a wallet and you can own that wallet and there's no possibility that anyone could reach into that wallet and grab it unless you are stupid enough to like give up your keys to someone else uh, which is a potential issue um but yeah it's that's that's the whole that's that's why i think um crypto and web3 is what they call it will become so popular because it allows people to start owning their own sort of information that you could think of it even as data as well currently we have you know tech monopolies that you know mine our data store our data and they own it and we don't um but cryptos is a way where it could actually allow you to own your own data and that you can store that data and you're the only one who has access to it and then you would um dictate who would have um access to that type of information or who you would want to give it to for some sort of compensation. So yeah, exactly. I, I, th- I think that's what's so cool about crypto and the whole space in general. Yes, very exciting. Very exciting. I love that. So 
when we talk about, let's see, I wanted to ask one, one question while you were talking and I think it left me. So I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to it. It's going to revisit me. So I wanted to ask about blockchain and let's start with the attacks. Like when you say that it could get hacked or it could get, it could get attacked. What does that mean in the financial world? Right, right. So um, you could think of, so I don't know if everyone remembers a few years ago when the credit card companies got hacked and someone um, got into their system through some sort of backdoor and they stole a ton of information of people's private information. That's, or, or even like hacks um, at banks every day is like people, people send um, phishing emails. I'm sure you're aware of phishing where someone can send like a fake email with a link that you could then click, which would then, you know, um, give up your password or something. And they might use that password to then um, inject into the network that they could put some sort of code that would then lock the network down and, and um, uh, just prevent either try to extract funds for it or lock it down to the port where they want some sort of ransom for them to unlock it. And um, it's a lot easier to do that sort of hacking when there's only one place where the information is being processed or the system is running on, right? Like mm -hmm. um, there's been issues lately with, uh, I believe, Amazon Web Services. Sometimes there's been some stories where, you know, they're their um, servers have gone down and a bunch of these different websites or different apps get affected by it. It's because all the apps are running through Amazon web services. And if their warehouse, which just has massive amounts of servers is attacked and someone is um, successful with attacking it and shutting things down, it affects a whole range of different things. And so it's a lot easier to do that when it's centrally located. But um, when you start to decentralize things, mm. um, with Bitcoin, it becomes a lot harder because what ends up happening with the, the Bitcoin system is you have all these different um, nodes, right, that are mining Bitcoin. So um, the person who put this in place, they made it so that uh, computers or you would have to use CPU power, right, to determine or to um, calculate some a math problem. And the nodes all have access to the exact same information, right? So all the nodes are competing against each other to solve this math problem. And then once they solve this math problem, um, the transaction is verified and it's added to a block. And then that block is then added onto the chain, right? Which is why it's called mm. blockchain. And, and so um, once that that transaction is verified and it's added to the chain, now all the, the nodes all have the same new access to the new transactions that they start trying to mine again. And so um, in a system like that, uh, when, you, when you start to grow exponentially in terms of the network power that you have, in order for someone to be able to actually attack the network, they have to, to generate or they have to acquire so much computing power that they overtake 50% of the, the network's power, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all these um, good nodes kind of uh, competing against maybe bad nodes that are trying to overtake it. And so it makes it very secure because it gets really hard to do that, especially with Bitcoin's um, level because it's so big now. Because it's so big, it gets even harder and harder to hack because it takes that much more 
money. You know, you would have to you would have to invest in actual hardware. You would have to go out. You would have to buy computers. You would have to need、um, servers. You would need certain chips, and you would need so much that it would overtake all the other nodes on the system.、Mm. And so、um, that's what is so cool, and that's what makes it actually so secure in Bitcoin's perspective. But you will find like other coins, like. One coin I know for sure、uh, that's had these fifty-one percent attacks is Ethereum Classic, and that's because、mm. some of these coins start to fork, and now their network power is less because you have a portion of the nodes that were mining on the original Ethereum network, and then you have a portion that are on the Ethereum Classic.、Uh, classic. And so the community isn't as big, and so they don't have as much computing power. So now someone. Who has more resources might be able to then actually attack it because they can acquire that computing power to then overtake it.、Mm, okay, cool, cool. And a quick definition of nodes would be like a source of these currencies. All right. So in Bitcoin,、uh, in Bitcoin's perspective,、uh, a node would be like a computer, right? It would be、okay. a computer on the network that is mining. But、um, other Coins, not necessarily a computer, because there's different consensus mechanisms. So,、um, a consensus mechanism is like how they verify transactions to be valid. So, in Bitcoin's case,、uh, they have a proof of work、mm-hmm. consensus. So, they're actually using physical computing power to、um, solve that math problem to verify the transaction, and that's、mm-hmm. the consensus that's been、um, agreed upon. Mm, okay, and then blockchain is like the—is that like the system that cryptocurrency runs on? That yeah, that's like the technology behind it. That's like physically the blocks being added on top of one another. So you have a、um, a ledger. It's a it's a、uh, a distributed public ledger that anyone can see, and they can see. Which、um, transactions have been verified? Which transactions have been added to the block? And it just continually grows over time, which is actually potentially an issue because as the blockchain grows, it becomes bigger and bigger, and you actually need more storage to actually、um, run a node. Because you can imagine when it first started off, it had the, the chain was really small, so you didn't need to store,、um, you didn't need a lot of memory to store the chain on your computer. But as it grows and grows, it becomes、um, way more in size, and so you need actually more memory to be able to store the entire blockchain on each node. Because remember, each node has all the same information as all the other nodes.、Mm, cool. Okay. Okay. So. Let's advance here <laughs> to the next level of crypto basics that I've outlined in my mind of limited knowledge on this. What are the physical and the digital crypto coins? Because this part is really confusing to me. We've talked about it before. It's still confusing. There are some digital and there are some physical currencies. Where are all of these currencies coming from? Not all of them, but where are these the big names like Bitcoin? Is that physical, digital, etc.? Well, so from my understanding, they're all going to be digital. All cryptos、mm. will be digital, but like you do have some cryptos、um, that I like. One of them is、uh, Pax Gold, right? This is a crypto that's backed up by gold. Yeah, and and the way that it's backed up by gold is you have a company Paxos that literally takes gold and they put it in a vault, and then they they mint gold coins on a one to one ratio to you. So 
you have a, a digital representation of a hard asset, right? Um, and that's, and so they'll all, all cryptos will be digital in a sense, and they won't actually have any like physical dollar bills or anything like that. Um, fiat, you'll typically have dollar bills, but you, you know, it's kind of like a hybrid system. A lot of fiat now is, is like credit cards and stuff. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like printed on a screen. Um, so, uh, Cryptos will always be just solely digital and you wouldn't necessarily have like an actual dollar bill that would represent a Bitcoin. And there's actually, I would say something really cool about that part of it because it's solely digital. Um, you can fraction it, right? So like you can take a Bitcoin and you can pull it out like nine decimal points. So yeah, like one Bitcoin right now, you could worth roughly $44,000, but you can spend $5 of a coin because it can be fractionable because it's, it's, it's got a denominator and you can, you can, you know, spend 0 0.000001 of a Bitcoin if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool part about it being digital because it just makes it um, a little more liquid. You wouldn't be able to take a dollar bill, you know, and, and spend, you know, half of it, you would have mm -hmm. to go break the dollar bill, get four quarters and then spend the quarter. So um, I think that's kind of a unique thing with crypto that that makes things like a little more liquid and allows people to kind of um, use the currencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That and it reminds me of what I was going to say earlier, too, because some people me included, but folks in the conspiracy world or whatever, we're not sure what the bank is doing with our money, right? We have a lot of skepticism about that. So this gives us another option. I think that's important for me to just lay out for everybody who's thinking about this, that possibly you might think that too, that there might be more security within this. Okay, so they're all digital, basically, they're all digital coins. And I'm wondering how these can come to be. What gives Bit what has given Bitcoin the credibility to just become this digital coin? How is that possible? Yeah, I, I mean, I think credibility really just comes with like utility. So like when Bitcoin first started off, it wasn't very credible. Like you could go to places, um, they used to have these Bitcoin faucets, right? Like you could go to a website, you could click a button and it would give you like five Bitcoin because huh. There were so many, there were so many bitcoins that the individual who started it, he was, I believe, was just trying to get it in circulation, right? Like, yeah, that's the hardest part I imagine with creating these type of currencies is like, how do you, how do you actually like, I would call it mint the coin, and then how do you get it to people so that they actually start using it? And so, mm -hmm. um, I would say for a long time, bitcoin wasn't credible. And there wasn't many uses for it. The only real uses you could do were, were buy stuff on the dark web. You could buy drugs mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, but the fact that more and more people just started adopting it. And then I think also the utility sort of, in my mind, comes from such bad policy uh, at the Federal Reserve as well. You know what I mean? Like, like the fact that um, the feds just keep printing more and more money. I think gives more utility to Bitcoin because it's a it's a fixed amount. There's a limit to it. You know, it's programmed into existence, and that program can't change. So it's twenty million, and it's never going to increase or or decrease. 
But I would say that there, there's possibilities for coins to be lost. So it actually is more deflationary than it is ever inflationary. So um, all of these coins really, uh, they, the popularity, the, the network effect or the utility is what's going to bring them value, which is why you see Bitcoin and Ethereum as the two biggest and they you know, outpace by far all the other coins because um, people, uh, they, they have interest in them, they, they think they're the most secure and they have the biggest networks. Mm-hmm. What happens if coins get lost? What does that mean? Um, so they're gone. So when coins get lost, they're gone. So like, um, a coins can get lost if you lose your keys to your wallet. So, um, the way that Bitcoin works is you have a public key and you have a private key. And that's what pretty much gives you custody of your coins. You would, you would input your private key to then be able to send your coins somewhere. And like, there are stories of people who've lost, like, like, you could look up the original founder. He's got like 50 coins that's never been moved, right? That just have never moved. And I, I assume that those coins are lost. You'll never get them back, right? So um, they're, they're not within circulation. They're not being used. They're just kind of sitting there. And, and it kind of um, limits the overall supply. I, I think it's kind of a bullish case for Bitcoin because it's deflationary in a sense. So um, the more coins that get lost, the less supply that there would be. And if demand increases, then the coins will just be worth more. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you can also lose coins by sending them somewhere that they shouldn't be sent. So like um, Ethereum is a good example of this, where people will send coins to like an address that doesn't exist and you can't get those coins back. So they're just like, again, floating out there, but no one has access to them and they're just gone. That's so trippy. Like yeah. to think about this whole space, oh, it's so trippy, especially if like, I don't know much about the technology side of this code, whatever. I've done like little bits of coding here and there, like laughable stuff, but thinking about that, like the internet space, the internet, like don't even get me started. It's so, it's like a psychedelic trip. So you say all of these coins are programmed. Can you give us more details on that for us non-technologically advanced folks? They're programmed. So what's stopping anybody else from programming a new type of cryptocurrency? Is it just because they get more popular and then they have this credibility? Why right. can't, why aren't people doing this all the time? Exactly. Well, people are actually. So um, that's why if you look and like if I were to look right now, I'm trying to, there's tens of thousands of cryptocurrencies. You know what I mean? I mean, there's plenty of coins out there and Ethereum actually makes it really really easy for you to just like mint new coins and you could just mm. make whatever coin you want but again it's all about that utility you know like if you if you mint new coins and there's no one using it it's not gonna have any value so mm-hmm. yeah um anyone could make their own crypto anyone could go out there you could actually go you could copy bitcoin's code and you could just create your new coin which i believe is what dogecoin actually did i, I believe <laughs> dogecoin is a knockoff of bitcoin where the person who made it, I think, made it in a couple hours, and it was literally like them copying the code of Bitcoin and then just slightly changing some code, and they made a whole new coin. Um, so yeah, so anyone, anyone could create their own coins, but it's it's all about the utility. It's all about how many people are using it, and um, if there aren't that many people using it, it's probably not going to add value, and it's not really going to go anywhere. Okay, so would you ever make one yourself? 
Um, that's a good question. I guess the only time I would think about making one myself if I had some sort of service that I wanted to provide to like a community mm-hmm. um, that I thought was valuable, then maybe, uh, maybe like, maybe, and, and honestly, this is where I think even NFTs come in play, which is slightly different, but you could do the same thing with NFTs where you, you know, you, you give NFTs or people buy NFTs from you and from them owning those, then they could use them on specific services or other types of things that you would want to sell. So, I mean, yeah, if I was selling something, maybe, but I, I don't know. It, it seems like easier just to use a coin out there already. You know what I mean? It might just be easier to allow people to pay in Bitcoin instead of, you know, creating my own new coin. It might, I would think that creating my new coin might decrease traffic. You know what I mean? Because mm. it's like, people might be more hesitant to have to go out of their way to take their money, buy this random coin. It's like going to like Chuck E. Cheese to buy coins at Chuck E. Cheese that you can use there. You know what I mean? It's like, you're kind of hesitant of how much, because you can't like go back and be like, Hey, can I have some of my money back for, you know, these Chuck E. Cheese coins. So um, I'd probably be hesitant to actually do it because a lot of them are just pumping dumb schemes. You know what I mean? A lot of them, try to like they make coins and then they try to pump them through social media and then Mm -hmm. they just dump a bunch of them and kind of it's kind of a scam you know what I mean they they scam people out of their money which is a shame but um yeah so maybe in the future but probably probably not anytime soon yeah maybe if certain communes are involved mine included you can make a right cryptocurrency (laughs) um okay so I have a question here that says, what's the difference between crypto and stock? I'm going to try to answer this and you can tell me if I am correct or not. So stock is just like investing in companies and you're investing in the actual business. And in this case, you're investing in a digital coin, which is not technically a business or it is a business. Let's hear that answer from you. Yeah, I would say investing in stock, you're getting like actual equity in the business. Um, so you own a part of the business. And I would say with coins, it's not necessarily about ownership. It's about utility, right? So it's like um, buying a coin. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like really a investment in some sort of equity. Like no one has an obligation. Like if you own a stock and they pay a dividend, you know, like you're getting some of those dividends because you own a part of the company. Mm-hmm. You don't own, a. I mean, I guess you own Bitcoin if you have Bitcoin, but like you're, you're not um, obligated, you know, to get anything you're, or you're not, not obligated, the opposite. You're not, you wouldn't have any sort of like receivable, you know, that would come in from them paying a dividend. So like owning the coin, it's all about future utility in my perspective, it's, it's how much is it going to be used? It's not about ownership. It's, it's how valuable will it become because people are actually using it, which is completely different than stock because you wouldn't buy a stock because you think people are going to use a stock. You don't use a stock, you know, you just, you own the company. So you buy the stock because you think the company is going to put out some sort of good or service that will become more valuable in the future. Um, but with the crypto, you, you're, you're either 
buying the coin um, because you think the utility is going to increase in the future and because the utility increases, the value will increase. increase. And I would say that utility a lot of times comes from just um, like, I think of it as like a, a hedge against the US dollar and inflation, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that drives utility again, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's it's just gonna push up the utility and how um how much people actually use it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Amazing answer. And and I would say one other thing too, because a, a new and I, I think this will become a big market. So um there are security tokens as well. So you could think of a security token as just like a stock, but it's tokenized. Right. So um, I know of a guy like one of the podcasts I listen to, Frank Curzio, he actually has a security token and people can go on to I think it's T0, which is um, Overstock's platform. And you could actually buy a security token. And that is kind of like one for one, kind of what a, a stock is. The benefit, I would say, to a, a token, a security token over a stock is, again, that it can be fractionable. Right. Like you can't. Re- Typically, you can't take a stock and fraction it. You can't like buy half of a stock or a quarter of a stock. But with tokens, you can. You could take a token and you could split it and dice it however many ways you want. And the benefit to that is it just provides more liquidity in the market. Because now people, like if I wanted to buy Tesla, I'd have to you know have a grand or so to be able to buy that stock. Mm. But if Tesla had a security token... I could buy a hundred dollars of it. You know what I mean? I could buy 0.25 of the security token. So um, it just allows people to kind of do more with it. What is a security token in relation to the, to the stock? How do they relate? I I think it's the same. Like they're like, literally I would think of them as exactly the same thing. It's just um, one is traded on a, you know, a, more regulated exchange where the other one's going to be traded on a secondary market exchange. So, you know, you're not going to be seeing security tokens. I don't think anytime soon on like the New York stock exchange, Um, but uh, both of them are supposed to represent equity in a company. They're, they're an equity portion in the company. So I do think like the security token market will get really big and it will become um, much, it will become a huge market over typical stocks because again it just provides more and more liquidity into the market more liquidity is better because then it just allows people to do like more things with their um you know with their money and you can also think of it as like you could you can see this is where it gets kind of crazy because you could think of doing the same thing with other hard assets as well like a company could tokenize maybe a portion of their um inventory or a portion of their fixed assets and then they could sell that portion to some third party so a third party has physical ownership in what this hard asset is and the company actually gets some some cash for it so they have some liquidity so it just it just kind of like creates way more liquidity in the market but it's brand new right like this is something that's that's very new um and there's not many companies that have kind of jumped into it but i think it will become more and more popular because it's a little bit it will be safer than typical cryptos i would say because having actual equity in a company i would say is safer than having just like a random coin you know what i mean because you you don't know if utility will actually grow or not it could be that the utility never grows and then you just lost all your money 
you know what I mean? Yes. So yes, four questions. Liquidity is more people investing in a certain market, more people investing in something, right? Like um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be more people investing. It's like, it like allows for the money to move easier. So like, um, so a good example is like the secondary um, housing market. So before Freddie and Fannie Mae, which I believe were made in like the 80s, there wasn't much liquidity in um, the mortgage market because the, the banks that were giving out mortgages didn't really have a way to sell those mortgages out. But once they made Fannie and Freddie, what ended up happening is banks could originate a loan, right? And then they could turn around, they could sell that loan to the secondary market. So they can get rid of um, the asset and they could actually have more cash that they could do something with. So it just, it just like allows cash to flow easier, if that makes more sense. Mm, yeah, it does. And the security token allows you to buy portions of shares, like smaller portions. Is that the biggest purpose? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would think that's a huge, a huge part of it because it because it's fractionable. Um, yeah, you you will, you have a bigger market of people that could actually buy that token. If that makes right. sense because yeah. you know when Tesla is a thousand dollars, there's a ton of people who can't buy Tesla because they don't have a thousand dollars to just you know buy tesla with but when you're able to be able to fraction it into whatever denomination that you want if someone might be able to put 25 dollars to tesla and so yeah i would say that's the benefit to tokenization in a lot of different industries mm -hmm. so do the companies that own the the do like for example would tesla have to sign off on a security token being created for tesla yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure they would have to go through some sort of um, regulatory. I think it's there's like different regulatory um, requirements that you have to jump through for different type of uh, securities that you sell. So like to be on like the New York Stock Exchange, I think you have to go through like the most um, intense regulatory oversight. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with like security tokens, it's not as much. There's like Schedule A and Schedule D, different types of like securities that you have to register with the SEC. So in order for them to go through that process, yeah, it would be a process for them to then have to be vetted. And But they're already on, I'm sure it'd be super easy for them because they're already traded publicly, right? So they already file, um, go through a lot of the hoops that you have to go through to be traded publicly. And in order to you know sell shares, I believe it's the most like they, they probably have to give financials on a quarterly basis. They have to have a uh, annual audit done. And so um, it might not be as intense for actual security tokens, but they're going to have to go through some sort of regulatory, um, you know, burden to, to actually be able to sell security tokens. Okay. What was the podcast that you mentioned? So I can link it in the show notes for everybody if they're interested. Oh, Frank. Yeah. Frank. I mean, Frank Curzio, he's, I guess, so he, He's not, um, he's just like an investing guy. He's kind of like his, his is um, Wall Street Unplugged. So his, his whole thing is bringing mainstream to the average user. Um, I've been listening to him for a while and I like him. He's, he, he gives good advice and he kind of just like gives his opinion on the market and um, kind of how to look at things. You know what I mean? Like how to, 
analyze situations and what to watch out for, what type of industry he thinks are going to, going to get big. Um, but he's more always been more in like the stock side of things, you know, like not, not necessarily cryptos, although he's been talking about cryptos quite a bit lately because he, I think realizes how much potential there is in the industry. Um, but yeah, Frank Curzio, Wall Street Unplugged is, is the podcast. Okay. Amazing. Let's get into now what types of cryptocurrency you like to invest in. And for those who are wondering about NFTs, uh, Daniel mentioned them a couple minutes ago. We will get to that at the end of this episode because your fiance, Daniel, asked me to ask you about NFTs and <laughs> cartoons. So we're going to talk about it as we close out the episode. But before we get to that, I definitely want to hear about what you like to invest in cryptocurrency wise. And I want to talk a little bit about how you see the future in cryptocurrency. But let's start with what you're into right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say for me personally, um, I, I tried developing like a strategy of what I think will be around in the long term, like what's going to be um, infrastructure wide web three, which is what they kind of um, call this new type of era of technology in terms of cryptocurrency. Um, but I, so lately, I've been trying to rein in kind of like what I buy. And I think it's safest for a lot of people to buy um, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So those are those are the ones I've been behind the most because um, I think they'll last the test of time. And and there's no other like crypto out there that pretty much um, has the network effect that Ethereum does. So to give people like an understanding the big difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, Bitcoin is solely like a peer-to-peer -peer payment network, right? Like you can use Bitcoin to pay other people. But Ethereum was built for a slightly different purpose. And Ethereum was kind of built to be like um, a world computer in a sense. So Ethereum introduced smart contracts to the crypto space, which kind of like turned everything on its head. Because with smart contracts, now people have actually been able to develop applications that can run on top of the um, cryptocurrencies. And you can't really do that with Bitcoin right now, the way that it is. You, it's just a peer to peer and you wouldn't really, although they're doing stuff, they're trying to make it more like Ethereum in a sense. Um, so I always tell people the safest bet in my opinion is go heavy in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then, um, there's also, and I, I don't even know if I necessarily consider Ethereum to be like an altcoin. So for people who aren't super familiar, Bitcoin's like the bowl. It steers the entire market, right? Like what Bitcoin does is going to drive pretty much how other coins perform just because it's so much larger. And I think this is a good, good uh, time to talk about market caps, right? A lot of people don't have a good sense of like what a market cap is. And I really think it's important to keep that... Um, kind of understand, understanding in people's heads of like what is a market cap and why it's so important because um, currently I'm looking at it, Bitcoin has a market cap of $826 billion. Um, Ethereum has a market cap of $425 billion. So e Ethereum is about almost uh, a little more than half, right, of what wow. Bitcoin is. And market cap, yeah, right. 
market cap is just solely the price times the volume, right? So, or price times the amount of coins in circulation. So, and that, that's all it is for all types of coins. You can find the market cap of any coin just by taking its price and multiplying by the cryptocurrencies in circulation. And then the third coin underneath Ethereum is the Binance coin. And Binance coin has 80 billion. So it goes from 826 billion to 425 billion to 80 billion. So that can give you a sense of how much bigger Bitcoin and Ethereum is compared to a lot of the other coins in the market. And then from there, it starts to drop even more and more significantly where if you go, yeah, like, like after the 20th coin, you're down to 10 billion. And then it just starts decreasing and decreasing. Um, and so the reason it's important to understand the importance of market cap is because it gives you a sense of how much things could grow, right? If I look at a coin like Dogecoin, this is a, which I would call a shit coin. I would never, I would never tell anyone to buy Dogecoin or Shiba Inu or any of those coins. I consider them shit coins. Um, I hear people say crazy things like, like, what if Shiba Inu goes to like a penny? <laughs> and I laugh at that because I'm like, for the market cap, the, you know, for Shiba Inu, which is like, I don't know, point, it's hard to do because it's got four zeros before it's actually the price of it. For that to go to a penny, the, our market cap would have to be astronomical. You know what I mean? It would have to be something crazy. And to put people in perspective, like gold has a $10 trillion market cap, mm. right? Like that's how big it is. So um, I think it's good for people to understand that. So they don't have wild expectations of where coin could go. Like there's no way Shiba Inu is going to go to a penny. I'm sorry to say it. Like the, that market cap's not going to happen. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like, it's way too much money. Like there's, the, there's not enough money in the world to, pump it that much so um i think that's really important to understand and then from there so bitcoin ethereum um i i love the two i think the risk to reward is the best with them i but then i also think there's other like infrastructure plays that i think are going to become important so like other coins that i really like my my next favorite is polka dot um which i've been on for a little while and i like polka dot because it it kind of is supposed to do well it's like a layer zero. So it's like other cryptocurrencies are supposed to use Polkadot as kind of like a settlement layer. And mm. they're trying to, I guess, get to a place where all of these cryptocurrencies um, talk to each other. So they're called them interoperable. So like you could imagine when the computer start, was invented, right? And it came about. Um, you had like different maybe softwares that were spun up or different programs that were like made on Windows, but you couldn't run it on like Linux, you know what I mean? Or you had like websites that ran on one that couldn't run on another. And the real play was to start to make programs that became interoperable and they can actually start talking to each other. And I, and Polkadot, and they're all trying to do this really. This has been like the theme. Um, Ethereum's even working on their own sort of like um, interoperability with it. Um, but I, I like Polkadot because it's, it's got a cool, it's, it's consensus and the way that it runs, I think is very unique. Um, and I could go on forever just talking about how it, but then other ones as well that I think are good. Um, Cardano that this one, I swear I've, 
I never heard so much hype for a coin than Cardano. And I actually like the guy, the, the uh, founder of it. So both of those two are actually um, co-founders of Ethereum. They, they came from Ethereum. They helped develop Ethereum and they kind of spun off and started working on their own coins to solve some of the issues that Ethereum is currently having um, that will hopefully make it more accessible and easy to use in the future. Because like I've been trying to like, so for like the NFT things, I've been trying to buy an NFT on Ethereum and the gas fees are so crazy. You'll spend 150 bucks just on a transaction, right? And that's, that's just because um, it's so congested. It's the, it's the only network that really has any sort of use case for it right now. There's not any other networks that I know of that have a bunch of actual network effect that have applications on it that people are using. And so because it's so utilized and people love it so much, it drives the transaction fees up so much because there's only a so much, um, there's only so much network um, utilization that it has, right? So you could imagine as the utilization starts to approach the highest point, gas fees are going to go up because it's going to take longer to actually process things and stuff like that. So I think those are good like infrastructure plays. And then um, I also like to think of like, other uh, types of infrastructure that I think will become valuable. So like um, Ethereum's computing, right? It's like a computer. It just allows you to compute stuff. Um, but then you have like other coins like Filecoin, which is a storage. So it's decentralized storage. Mm. Um, and then you have other coins that like, like Chainlink is another one that I like. Um, it's Oracle, right? So it, it, it takes data, like off-chain data, and it allows cryptos to then um, use that data, and it feeds in data. So you could imagine, like, um, if you needed the price of gold, right? Chainlink has nodes that will go out, find the price of gold, and then provide it to maybe another crypto that needs that price. So right. I, I like. I like to try to think of like coins that are going to like fill these different roles for the infrastructure in the future, because they're all going to be necessary, I think, in my mind. Um, and I'm kind of a long-term player. So I'm like, well, I, I will try to put some money in these different infrastructure plays that I think will be important in the long run. And then um, other ones as well. So um, like Polygon is a good one, I think, because it's a layer two solution. So, so for people that don't know, Ethereum's layer one, right? It's, it's like a place where um, people can put applications and then those applications can run. Um, what ends up happening again, right? It gets really congested, it gets really slow. The gas fees get really high because so many people are trying to use this layer one solution. Anyone what is, can I interrupt you for a second, Daniel? Yeah. What is gas fees? Yeah, so gas fee is um is Ethereum's method of oh like rewarding miners pretty much. So um, and what is mining? Let's let's yeah okay this is great this, yeah okay so the way that that Bitcoin operates right now how do they so they they need to incentivize um people to go onto the network and provide computing power so that the network can actually run. And the mm. way that Bitcoin does that is they have a, um, a mining reward. So like if I was a miner and I um, 
grab, I had a computer and I was like, okay, I'm going to provide this CPU power to the Bitcoin network. And then I'll run the program that Bitcoin has given me to solve that math problem again. And once I solve that math, math problem, I'm going to be rewarded a certain amount of Bitcoin, right? And that's, that's how it, it incentivizes people to provide computing power to the network mm-hmm. to keep it running. Ethereum does it slightly different and it doesn't. And so Bitcoin here, I'll explain how Bitcoin does. So Bitcoin, I believe, started off with like 50 Bitcoins. And then um, every like four, four years or so, it halves. So it goes from um, 50, it went to 25. So 2008 to 2012, it was 50. And then once 2012 hit, it was 25. 2016 hits, it's like 12 and a half. 2020 hits, it's like six and a quarter, right? Um, and so it, it's slowly decreasing over time on how much the actual, um, how much the miners are rewarded for. And then I think it's supposed to last, mm. like it'll, it'll get pushed out until like 150 years until they, it won't have any rewards left and then it'll turn into more of like a fee system. Ethereum does it slightly different and they have gas fees, right? So in order to um, incentivize miners on the Ethereum network, every time you enter into a transaction, you have to pay some gas and you pay that gas in Ether, which is how, why Ether is valuable, why it has utility, because you can't use the Ethereum network without having Ethereum. That makes sense. And all the coins, and there's a lot of coins that operate on top of Ethereum. Um, if you operate on top of Ethereum, you still have to pay your gas fees in Ethereum. So there's a that's the utility aspect of Ethereum because you're, you're paying those gas fees and you have to, to pay them to actually use the network. And they all kind of have some sort of um, mechanism like that to reward people to actually like run the network. So what does it look like to be using a coin on top of, so you say certain coins operate on top of Ethereum. What does that look like? Right, Um, so like Polygon is a good one. Polygon is a a layer two that operates on top of um, Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And so why I was saying why I think uh, layer twos are going to become important is because of the congestion currently on the layer ones. It will, because there's so much congestion on layer ones and on Ethereum, um, people could take their apps that are currently on Ethereum and they can move them to the Polygon network, right? And because it's not as congested and because everything doesn't settle like one for one on the, on the, Ethereum network, mm-hmm. they like roll up transactions. So imagine taking like a hundred transactions, batching them together, and then having all of those settle on top of Ethereum instead of having each transaction it, that itself settle on top of Ethereum. So um, that's how you like run these apps. Like an app that runs on Ethereum is going to have their own coin, and you're going to use that coin to be able to use the app because that's where the mm. utility comes from. So the utility always comes from trying to use the service that the coin is kind of providing. So a good example, um, and what's really big in, in the Ethereum space is decentralized finance, right? Mm-hmm. So um, 
how I got into decentralized finance is I stumbled uh, upon compound finance. Compound finance is a lending platform, right? And so um, you can you can like take your coins and you can you can um, lock them in a vault, and then Compound will allow you to then borrow based on that coin's value, right? And it's sits on top of Ethereum, so every time um, you use Compound, you have to pay the um, Ethereum gas when you do it. Um, but if you provide like liquidity, so the way that it works, how, how Compound is able to actually lend people out coins is they have these liquidity pools. So people will say, okay, I will provide you um, X amount of co coins. It could be Ethereum, it could be USDT. It's a bunch of different coins that they have, different like liquidity pools. And then Compound will reward you in Compound, their coin. Mm. And so um, it's just, so the utility in Compound is like the lending and that's kind of like where the utility comes from and that's how it, but most coins nowadays sit on top of Ethereum. So if you look mm. at like Shiba Inu sits on top of Ethereum, Polygon sits on top of Ethereum. The, the vast majority of tokens out there sit on top of Ethereum because it's been the only network out there that actually you're able to use. You can't use Polkadot right now, really. It's starting to get working and running. Can't use Cardano. Um, you could use Binance Smart Chain, but it's more centralized than Ethereum is. So mm -hmm. Ethereum is the most decentralized. Um, so yeah, it's like, there's all these like crazy little holes in the space that, um, yeah, that you could go down and just discover when, when you start talking about it. Yeah, it's so complex, but that's why this conversation is so important, right? Because once you start understanding little pieces of it, a lot of us want to know more. Like I am not finance minded and I this type of information for me is like super hard for me to understand. But when you describe it the way you do, we're able to take a piece of that and be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's a code. Like we can start there and then we keep digging into it because it seems interesting and it seems a little bit more safe. And I think a lot of folks, because Bitcoin started in the black market, it still has this kind of like demonized yeah. vibe where everyone's a lot of people are hesitant to use it because they think it's, is it legal? Is it illegal? Is it going to get me into trouble? Am I going to lose all my money? And like you say, some people that are running these small or creating these small coins, it can be like a scam. So people might yeah. hear that those stories scams. as well. There's a ton of scams out in the space. Um, actually, my, my brother just got scammed the other day. He no got, way. He oh yeah. But he was, it was stupid of him because he didn't, he could have, if he knew like basic security stuff, this is like where you need to know. Cause like, if you have Bitcoin and you have it on like a wallet, right? You, you're your custodian, right? There's no one else like holding those coins for you. Like if you have, if you have money in a bank and your bank loses that, you, those are FDIC insured up to 250K, I believe. So like you can get that money back. If you have it in a wallet and someone hacks your wallet and they take that, you can't go to anyone and get that back. You're oh. your self-custodian, which is why I, I tell people to tread lightly in this space because um, maybe being your self-custodian isn't the way to go right now. Maybe it's easier to rely on a third party like a Coinbase, which is an exchange. I like to use I, – I, I honestly use 
hold most of my coins on third-party exchanges. And the reason I do that, um, because I actually get interest in a lot of my coins. So like one service I use that I would recommend to people is Nexo. Um, Nexo is like a company, I believe it's regulated in the European market, um, European regulators. I, I don't think it's going to be FDIC insured, right? I know they have some sort of insurance policy because I've looked on their website and I know that they're audited by certain firms. Um, but I can, I can send my coins to them, have them hold it for me. They're again, a lending platform. They, they will lend coins out, but because I hold my coins on their platform, I'm actually earning interest in that coin as well, which adds up really quickly. And because Mm -hmm. the space is so new and they're trying to drive demand, the interest rates are really high actually, which is why I always tell people like, if you wanted to get into the space, a really easy way to get into the space is to take your US dollar and you can turn it into a stable coin. And a stable coin is just like, again, it's, it's kind of what I mentioned with PAX Gold, right? It's like a digital representation of a dollar. PAX Gold is a digital representation of a hard gold asset. And, and USDT or USDC is a, supposed to be a one-for-one representation of what the dollar is. But you could take your US dollar, you could you know deposit it on Coinbase, you could turn it into a USDC coin, you could send it to Nexo, and you could start earning 6 7%. You know what I mean? Like really quickly. And you don't find like, you're not going to find rates like that at a bank, like a bank, you're going to earn 0.25%. You know what I mean? So it's like, why not do that? Why not take a little bit of your money? It's, it's, it's not going to fluctuate like other cryptos will. It'll stay very stable. Um, and you'll start earning interest on it a lot more than you would holding that any other bank. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's important to understand that aspect, and for people to understand that if they don't trust themselves being the custodian, um, there's a lot of like institutional players now that you can trust. You can trust Coinbase's, you can trust Krakens. I think you can trust Nexos. I like Nexos so much that I actually own their own coin. You know what I mean? They have a coin that you can buy, and if you hold it on their website, you can earn even more interest. So I think it's important for people to understand that and to um, you know, take those routes if they feel like they need to go those routes because it's safer. You know what I mean? They're the ones who are going to be in control of making sure the wallets aren't going to get hacked or anything. They So this is, a, I guess, another topic to be good to talk about different types of wallets. There's hot wallets and there's cold wallets, right? Mm. A hot wallet is a wallet that's always connected to the internet. Um, a cold wallet is something that's not connected to the internet. So like, you could, you could have a wallet on like a USB device and you could hold your coins on that device hmm. and, and it's, called, it's cold storage. It's going to be very hard for someone to steal those coins unless they physically um, steal your USB device and they get that password for it. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's good to know those like, you know, different things. And a lot of institutional players, they don't keep all their coins on a hot wallet. The majority of their coins are held cold storage. That's they, what I would do. That's what I'm saying. Right. I'm like, uh, I would keep that. Right. And physically. they have, <laughs> typically they have backup contingencies as well, because like you read crazy horror stories of like what happens if, um, I can't remember what company it was, but they had like a bunch of um, coins on a cold storage and like the CEO died. 
Mm, yeah. And then, and then they have a way of like getting to it. So it's like yeah. typically companies understand this. They they have, uh, especially institutional players, they have contingencies in place. So if something like that happens, they can still access those funds and they have a way of getting to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have about 10 minutes left. What do we talk about next? I have to talk about this. I ask you about it every time we talk, Daniel, but I want to go over this because for our listeners, but also I may or may not be having somebody else on this podcast talking about cryptocurrency. As we know, and for those who don't know, there is a whole theory happening right now that XRP is the crypto and it's gonna take over the us dollar or something like that this year or something like that i don't know exactly i just know people in my audience and certain colleagues that are into this and they're like buy as much xrp as you can there are like so many memes about this topic because it's so huge and i know that xrp isn't your favorite so tell us why let's hear it from your mouth yeah um so xrp in my mind is uh I never like. I don't necessarily think it's a bad coin. Um, what's really good about XRP is it has a really strong community. Apparently, um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who like go crazy for XRP, and you and that's really important in crypto to have like the network effect, right? To have people that are crazy about the coin that are all in for it that aren't just going to like dump it. Um, but I mean, what does XRP do? It's it's another peer-to-peer payment network. It does what Bitcoin does. It doesn't do anything else. You know what I mean? And um, uh, a highly concentrated amount, I believe the owners who created XRP own over 50% of it. So not only does it not, in my mind, provide any additional benefit that what Bitcoin does, it's also um, a large portion of the supply is highly concentrated within a few people's hands. And I always get really worried about that. When you see coins that are heavily consolidated in a few wallets, at any point in time, they could dump those coins and they could tank the coin. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that they would necessarily do that, but that's, and and they're going through a lawsuit with SEC. So, yeah, true. Um, I don't know how that's going to go with the, the SEC. Um, they're kind of, I think they're being picked on a little bit because they all sort of have the same issues that I think XRP has and the founders haven't really dumped. I don't believe the coins, um, they do own a lot of them, which is why I think they're being targeted because they own more than 50%. I think they are trying to get them for some sort of, um, registration violation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know in terms of it, like becoming the, the next big thing. I don't know. I think I think XRP had its had its go, and it's gonna. I think it'll, I think it will bleed market cap over the years. I think it will continually just go become lower and lower. I mean, what is it right now? It's eight, thirty-seven billion, uh, thirty-seven billion. Yeah. So that's what. It, but the thing is, right now, like, um, I know, I know, XRP's all-time high is about three dollars, and it's sitting at like eighty cents. So. Mm-hmm. If you're someone thinking like potentially that it could, um, you know, have like a two x, three x return, possibly that's potentially. Um, I just wouldn't bet my money on it because I'm not so enthused about it. I, I, the fact that it 
it is actually so low compared to its all-time high i think is kind of a negative as well because like ethereum is 3500 and its all-time high was i mean it, it almost just i think it just recently broke it within the last month or two so yeah that's kind of my whole thing with xrp i've never been like a huge fan um but i do know that it has a strong community and the yeah. fact that it hasn't completely tanked even after having a lawsuit i guess you could see that as a positive light wait is the the lawsuit is still happening right now yeah, I believe so. I don't think I don't think XRP had ever settled or anything. Depending on the resolution of the case, it'll be interesting to see what happens with XRP. Like if the lawsuit gets dropped, then right. there's going to be some sort of a spike. Well, that's and that's what people are kind of speculating. They, the, the assumption is that um, if it does get dropped and it's favorable, then they should be close to their all time high. Um, and they should pop. And yeah. if that's the case, then you could imagine a two, three X return, you know, which is yeah. good. But yeah. again, I'm hesitant. I, mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to, to buy. Yeah, I like that. And it's also interesting too. I mean, we could, we're going to have to have you back on Daniel, if you would like to grace us with your presence again, because I mean, where do we end with this stuff? I totally. could keep going and going and I know, totally. yeah, you're on the same page. So we'll, next time you come on, we will talk about the nfts and i know that's a whole thing too like i've heard some people like some of my colleagues are like i cannot understand what this is so it's going to take me some time too i'm sure but yeah i i also wanted to just touch on something that's really interesting that might be just food for thought for all of us before we sign off with xrp the theories that I am hearing about and some people in my community are telling me about is that it's going to replace the US dollar, there's going to be some catastrophic implosion and uh, XRP is going to rain. You're telling me, Daniel, though, that only a couple of people own basically the majority of this coin or at least 50%. So that also tells me that, oh, I don't know, that sounds like the same thing as centralized, like typical right. finance, right? In the matrix. Uh, not really so into that either. However, I want to have myself protected just in case something like that does happen, which is just the beauty and the ugliness of the conspiracy world. Right. And that's why I would say I like Bitcoin, Ethereum more, just because they're more decentralized yeah. platforms. And I, yeah. And you could just look at the market caps. Bitcoin's not going anywhere. So yeah. if the US dollar implodes, I would assume that Bitcoin would get a better leg up than XRP would. So. Okay. Cool. Ooh, okay. I like where we ended here. This gives everyone a really good intro. We're going to probably call it cryptocurrency 101 because I mean, that's what it ended up being, which is what I thought it would, which is great because we need to be informed. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. But before we sign off, I ask every guest this question, and I would like to ask you this, this question as well. What do you think the root of health is? What is the baseline common denominator of health? If you had to pick one Ooh. thing that gives us health what do you think the most important thing is um what is the most important thing to health <laughs> i guess i would say god in a sense i think spirituality and god is going to bring the right mental state to put someone in i guess the um, state to keep themselves as healthy as possible because if you understand 
the value of life. I think that you kind of get that through through God and understanding your value and how much value life is um, is more motivation to do the right things in your life to become healthy and stay healthy. Yeah, even the suggestion of higher power is so important. Like it gave me so much hope. And also nice to note that Daniel is also very spiritual. He has all of these different wellness practices too. Very cool that you have all of these different interests that kind of meld into one and it makes you so complimentary to the Root Awakening platform. So yeah, I'm so excited that we got to have this conversation and that we'll get to have another conversation. We definitely will. So Daniel Rudiger, CPA crypto enthusiast, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for telling us so patiently more about the cryptocurrency world. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Emily. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was an easy conversation, a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you having me on. Folks, I hope you loved this episode. You can help me out here. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and review, and please highlight it. Share this podcast with your community. If this information brings you value, if my content helps you in any way, if it brings value to your life, then please help me share it. Please support it. Please help me spread it around so I can help more and more people for free. It's a free service that I am happy to share with the world and I want to share it with as many people as possible. So please help us do that here at Root Awakening. And don't forget, I have information on how to join the email tribe for free in the show notes. I have information on how to grab the simple, quick online communication course that I created. Links in the show notes. It's super affordable. Check it out. And don't forget, I'm taking one-to-one coaching clients again. I'm specializing in resistance, boundaries, improving relationships, improving the connection to yourself, improving communication, learning how to speak your mind more, learning how to communicate gracefully. This is what I love to talk about. So if you're interested in working together, you can DM me on Instagram or you can email me via the email in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for sharing it with your community and helping us spread the word on natural health and self-empowerment. I love you. See you on the next episode.